Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. In this podcast, we'll be having discussions around the secrets which attract lasting, healthy, fulfilling relationships, creating a healthy mindset, and what women should know and understand about men. Introducing your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts, relationship expert, trainer, speaker, and best-selling author of The Cupid's Bow Technique. Lynn's mission is to have a positive impact in reducing divorce, domestic violence, and suicide. Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. This is your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts. And today, listeners, I've got a fabulous guest. Her name is Sam Kiani. Welcome to the podcast, Sam. Thanks, Lynn. It's really great. I appreciate you having me on. Sam's a human potential coach. So just explain a bit to listeners that aren't familiar with what that could mean, Sam, as to what a human potential coach is. Yeah, um, great question, actually. Um, yeah, it's hard, I find, to describe myself because I suppose um, I've worked a lot in the corporate space. And after 25 years of working in projects and programs, I noticed that it didn't matter what the technical challenges were that we were trying to do. It was always the challenges were in the people and in the relationships. So basically, I retrained about a four or five years ago as a coach and I now work as a coach helping people and businesses basically let go of what's holding them back to step into the fullness of who they really are and that's why I'm so delighted to be on your podcast today because really relationships are such a central component of that of what holds us back and also once we master it what helps us be all that we can be. Excellent. Lovely. Thank you. I think you've explained that beautifully. So Sam, we was talking a bit off there about, you know, the, the topic that we would be discussing in today's podcast. And we come up with how do we show up in relationships? So what was your context around, you know, what this actually means for us and our listeners? Well, <clears throat> I mean, I'm a real science nerd. And I'm also really fascinated. I was that kid that um, always asked why. And uh, why, why, why? How does that work? How does that work? And so what I notice is that like we are, uh, like we are the center of our own universes. And our brains are this perception meaning-making machine. So what that means is like we experience the world through our senses. So it's not selfish, but like we are the center of our universe. I agree. And so it was from that perspective, really, that if we imagine uh, that we are the center of our own universe and all the relationships that we have around us, romantic, family, friends, work, casual people in the street. um, Yeah, it's, uh, you know, what's our part? in the dynamics that we create and certainly not all the bumps in the road that we meet are our fault but like um yeah it's that whole thing us in the middle you know with this constellation of relationships around us yeah so you you were saying you know earlier when we were speaking off air about you know obviously we do have a part to play in whatever we, we're creating currently, you know, and if that is a very challenging environment, then we have our own part to play. But also 
we don't need to to lay blame on ourselves for that yeah that that's right and i think it's important because um, without getting into too much depth of my uh, personal history, but um, I was born into quite a troubled um, family. And so uh, the relationship that I had, particularly with my mum, was really, really troubled uh, from about, well, from as young as I can remember. Um, and I remember blaming myself for a lot of that. And of course, and, and also blaming her um and uh being really angry at her and what i realized later after doing you know quite a lot of uh therapy and uh reading of loads of books because i think from a, from as young as i can remember i was fascinated by relationships and what made them work yeah um and so you know it is this thing of um you know separating out you know, okay, so in that situation with my mum, so I was the firstborn. So of course, my relationship with her is going to be different than that of my brother, who is second born seven years later. So the fact that he has a different dynamic to her, it's not my fault. It's just we are different people. We have, you know, there are different circumstances. And so there's two pieces it's understanding so what are my patterns um and also just like forgiveness like letting ourselves off the hook that we're not necessarily creating all of the circumstances but just what is our part in how we respond or how we might react to those you know i can absolutely 100 percent relate to this because i had a very similar upbringing you know my, both my parents had a very volatile relationship i didn't really have a close relationship with either one but my mum certainly wasn't a maternal nurturing mother and you know if you ask what my story is about growing up and what my brother's story is about growing up and there's only two years between us they're very different you know in terms of the relationship we had with the same mother you know mine was very much you know, I felt she was very cold and maternal and, um, you know, not very affectionate or caring of me. And, and his was totally different. As, and I think sometimes there is that difference because of the genders. You know, I think mm. there is a tr- lot of truth in sometimes that, you know, the same that usually mother-son relationships are, are different to mother-daughter relationships. Yeah, I think the moment of clarity I had and, you know, and this, this came, you know, many years down the line, it wasn't like I was eight and had this moment of clarity, just to be clear. But one of the reasons I think mother and daughter relationships are so difficult is that, um, is that hurt people hurt people, you know, and, uh, parents also have a lot of pressure of, um, their own expectation about what they might want to be like as parents and when they don't respond that way and they're violent and angry and you know less than less than this perfect ideal of a nurturing parent I think they build up a lot of self-hate and so something I realized is the reason that my mum was so or one of the reasons I think my mum was so violent towards me is because I reminded her so much of herself yeah And so the punishment of me was really her own self-punishment. And part of the healing of our relationship has been really weirdly 
like me accepting myself and me talking to her about how much I look like her and me talking to her about how much I am not afraid of turning into her. And that somehow has been very healing for her. And so it's been quite healing for our dynamic. Yeah. And I've had similar dialogue with my mother, you know, we've resolved Mm. a lot over the years. Um, And, um, you know, I can remember though the time when I didn't have the awareness to deal with it very well, that I did blame her a lot for, um, Mm. you know, a lot of things that now that I can see, like you said, she was probably struggling from her own perspective with her own issues and self-hatred and what have you uh, herself and not knowing how to manage and deal and heal from that. Yeah. I don't know about you, Lynn, but one of the things that really helped me on my own journey of um, um, healing and to a certain extent of self-acceptance was that realisation of um, my mum's pain, Mm. of realising that... um, the behavior of other people is often not driven by us. It's driven by what's going on inside them. And so instead of taking it so personally, and of course, as a child, it's, it's, it's almost impossible, right? Not to take the behavior of your parents personally. But one of the thing, one of the, the key steps I think on the path for me towards, you know, healing Um, and transcending all of that difficulty and confusion was that realization that if I take a step back and I pretend that I'm not the daughter of these two people, you know, what does their behavior tell me about them as humans, about how happy they are, about their relationship with themselves? Um, And looking through that lens, that's how I could then see that their behavior was a manifestation of their own anger and their own grief. And I just happened to get in the way. I was like, you know, the proverbial cat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I can absolutely relate to that because I can remember having those same thoughts and thinking, you know what? Um, I could see now that, you know, for my mum, she felt she was trapped in a, a relationship that she didn't really want to be in. It was very volatile and unhealthy and toxic. And at the time I think she felt obliged to saying it because I was one of two kids that she felt responsible for. And then consequently she took it out on us. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Me in particular, because I was naturally without meaning to sound as I'm blowing my trumpet. I was naturally quite clever at school. Mm. uh, And my brother wasn't, he, he had this, you know, he had, he was dyslexic and it wasn't really identified in those days as being dyslexic you were quite often labelled as stupid. Uh, And so he struggled with reading and writing. And so my mum nurtured him more, you know, to help him with his reading and writing. And therefore, because I was seen as the one that, um, I suppose, anything he could do, I could do better. And so I was coping okay, that I felt I got neglected in that process. Yeah. In, in, in therapy, they can talk about the, um, you know, the scapegoat child, you know, the truth teller, the one that, you know, the one that um, sort of highlights all the problems just somehow through their own, you know, just, just through their presence really in a way. Yeah. It's not, not unusual for the first born to be that. Yeah. I, I, I can actually, you know, understand that and empathize 
with your story relating very much and very similar to my own. So getting back to how we show up in relationships, how do you think that then, you know, um, can affect romantic relationships, you know, if we've experienced something like that in childhood? Mm. Well, I think, you know, despite all the, um, all the inner work that I'd done, my um, romantic relationships, like in the beginning, they, they weren't too problematic for me. I mean, I had the whole thing of like this internal sense of shame. You know, I think I had a lot of internal, like I felt like there was a part of me that I was hiding that was just like not good enough, that was somehow damaged. And so um, although that made it, you know, I wasn't like free and easy in relationships like some people, you know, I wasn't unsuccessful and I actually got married, um, in my, um, in my, uh, late twenties. Um, and I thought I had the perfect relationship and actually what then played out, unfortunately, was that because we both had this kind of, we both came from the same sort of family situations and because some of that for both of us wasn't healed, we ended up kind of repeating some of those same patterns. Yeah. Um, so, I, so I had that experience really of feeling like so close with someone, feeling like I'd really met somebody who totally understood me into, you know, just, you know, a matter of years later, feeling like I didn't know that person at all and how could we even have gotten there? Yeah. <laughs> so how long were you in that relationship? Oh. <laughs> well, um, I think uh, we were, I, I remember it being from the day that we met to the day that the divorce was finalised was 10 years. Uh, but we were, uh, you know, and we were together for about three years before we got married. But then we were only really married married for like three years. And the problems really set in after about a year and a half. And I think that that was because there is, um, you know, some people say, oh, you know, like marriage is just a bit of paper. Yeah. <laughs> and on, and on, on one level it is, but also it's this thing in, that happens in your mind about finality, you know, about permanence. Um, and so I think getting married actually was the catalyst for things already beginning to break down. Yeah, and um, the thing is that we learn from every situation and every relationship, don't we? So it's never, it's never a waste. There's no, there's no point in having any regrets. You know, even if we feel that we've spent far more time in that relationship than what we should have done, it, mm. it's, it's always perfect, isn't it? <laughs> from yeah. a divine timing point of view, because you still need to learn some lessons or they need to learn some lessons or, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I'm so grateful, really, for that whole experience, because although at the time it was so incredibly painful, I would not have done all of the work and all of the learning and all of the self-discovery. I, I, I wouldn't have done it. And to be honest with you, I feel like the depth of the pain, because my marriage broke down at, at the same time that... Um, my dad died and also a business that I was running kind of came to an end. So it was quite a lot to process all at once, but I think it was the, 
you know, quite honestly, the, the challenge of that, the pain of that, that actually kind of woke me up, you know, and this is what helped me realize that, you know, we create our reality. And if what we're seeing in relationships are dynamics that we don't like, if it's a one-off, you know, if it's one person doing something on one occasion, then that's kind of different. But if we see patterns, these patterns are things that we're generating. And so um, I've been a really big fan of um, Byron Katie's The Work. And also a, a kind of a funny mashup of Byron Katie's The Work with something else that I'd come across that just really helped me investigate these patterns. Um, so, I mean, maybe it's something we can talk about, but I'd love to also know what kind of helped you also um, come through difficult relationships. Um, I think I've always had a thirst for learning and growing, you know, and like you, um, I, I was driven by something internally to, to learn more about why something was happening. Yeah. Get to the bottom of it. And, you know, for me, I think my, one of my biggest human needs and drivers is I've always been searching for, you know, love. Love for me is, is that bit one, one of the biggest powerful human needs for me that I, I go searching for. I don't know if you're familiar with Tony Robbins' six human needs, but he talks about yeah. need for certainty, uh, the need for variety, the need for love and connection, and the need for significance has been our four primary core needs. And usually, the, you know, your top two out of those are your main drivers. And I know for me, my, my top one is, is literally love and relationships. And I didn't feel that, you know, growing up with the parent environment that I had. And so I felt always driven, you know, to, to find out more about relationships and how they worked and if they weren't working, why they weren't working. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and, and that's what brings us into this topic of like how we show up in relationship because, um, yeah, I think the hardest, because that thing about searching for love, I love how um, Fitchnat Hand talks about um, that we're a pot in search of a lid. Um, and it can often feel like that, can't we? Like, like we're, we've got some kind of emptiness inside us and we just need somebody else to fill it. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, and I really think the, the, the key things about how we show up, it's um, number one, it's kind of like the clarity of, you know, what was the situation that happened? Um, what was my part in it? Or what was, you know, what did the other person do? And what was my part in it? And then to really work through forgiveness. Yeah. And forgiveness, you know, I know you know this, but, you know, for everyone listening, it's always a good reminder that it's not making the situation okay. It's just an acknowledging that it happened, that it's in the past, and we need to let go of the emotional charge that's around it. Yeah, it's all about, you know, like you say, it helps on that healing path. It's not about thinking that whatever was done was acceptable. If you've been through a trauma at the hands of anybody, it's not about accepting that it was, you know, um, you know, a, a, an okay thing. But, you know, it's for yourself, isn't it? It's just helping you to heal. Yeah, it's just, it's just acknowledging that at that time, um, we did the best we could with the resources that we had at the time. 
you know, and what lesson might we want to take away or what's, what's the learning that we might want to take away. But I almost think the important thing is just the forgiveness and that really leads on to the importance of like self-acceptance, you know, to be able to look in the mirror and look into our own eyes and to be able to like that person. Mm. Yeah. That is so fundamental, I think. Definitely. I absolutely 100% agree with that. The, the, the key relationship is always the, it brings it back to the relationship first and foremost that you have with yourself, isn't it? And it, not looking for that external validation all the time or that external feedback that you're loved, um, although that's nice. But, you know, first and foremost, looking at yourself and, and knowing that you're worthy of, of love and, and on the back of that, you know, attracting then the love from others because they can see you radiating that and being that and exuding that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think it can be a whole journey like to, you know, to self-acceptance. But if you think about how we grow to like other people, um, this is how we can consciously go through the process of learning to like ourselves. you know, consciously seeing ourselves doing things, um, that we value, you know, and, um, doing things that we enjoy because I think it's just important. Well, it's been important for me to just understand the mechanism of the brain, you know, that we have the most sophisticated brain on the planet, but it is still wired for our survival. So we tend not to register the good things, right? Because they don't stop us getting, you know, run over by a car or eaten by a bear. (laughs) And so it's really important. I mean, literally like neuroscientists, they will tell you it is a thousand times easier at the end of the day for you to recall something bad than it is something good. Yeah, because like you say, it sticks in your consciousness more, you know, if you've had a challenge or a difficulty to deal with in your life than, than some of the happiest memories that you, you, you've probably got, you know, stores and stores of, but, you know, you, you dismiss and delete. That's right. And so I also think, like, once we know this, not only does this apply to our relationship with ourselves, like, just taking time to deliberately soak in the good to look for the good, to look for the the best in us, not to constantly be looking for the faults. This is something that if we can do this for ourselves, we also do for others. Because one of the biggest things that destroys relationships is, um, you know, nitpicking, basically. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, And the thing is, is we can fall into that so easily, right? Because especially these days, you know... um, you know, it's all about hacks and tips and how to get better. But before you know it, you know, you're saying to your partner, oh, you know, you could just do this or you could just do that. Or, you know, you bring to them all your knots and you bring to them all your disappointments. You know, you don't bring them your appreciation and your praise and, you know, uh, you know, the things that they do that you really appreciate. You just tend to talk about the bad things otherwise. And I think this, uh, you know, this is the thing that kind of, slowly, slowly, slowly over time just, you know, destroys all the respect um, and the love in relationships. <laughs> yeah, I call it, um, you know, shudding over people or even shudding all over yourself. You know, you should be doing this, you should be doing that or 
you know. I love I've it. So I should have known that, and I, I call it shoulding. <laughs> shoulding, shoulding all over someone. I love it because <laughs> I think that touches on one of like the really big myths of relationship. Right? Is that um, when because you were talking about romantic relationships, and it's just there is such a persistent myth that um, if it's right, if we love each other, it will just work. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you I don't know if you agree with that I I see a lot of people who and and I remember even falling into that trap myself you know whereas really it is about building these um you know relationship skills isn't it absolutely and first and foremost is that relationship with self and, and appreciating like you say to start with loving and liking yourself and giving yourself a pat on the back for your little wins and successes along the way and not beating yourself up and blaming yourself if you don't get what you want because you'll always get what you need <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and I, I think as well the other the other aspect is when we move um so still from this perspective of um standing in our own experience but thinking about what we're creating because um you know for ex- so i'm i'm i have to say i'm really happily married uh now i think all of that work that i put in relationship uh building really paid off um but still relationships have their ebbs and flows and um you know something that i notice is that i can fall into this bit of a trap of um you know like oh we used to have fun yeah <laughs> we used to have fun and now all it is is work 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 yeah <laughs> But then honestly, if I look at my own behavior and I look back to how our relationship started, I brought quite a lot of fun to the, um, you know, to our relationship. I would arrange things. I would spontaneously book tickets for things and actually create time for fun. Yes. Um, And so... I recognize it's so easy for me to put the blame on my partner and say, yo, why are we not having any fun? But actually it's me that stopped being open to fun. It's me that stopped generating fun. And you know what? That's a crucial thing I think you brought up because I think, to be honest, when I've looked at the energies and, you know, typically my work is around energy work. I think it is the feminine energy that is the fun energy that brings fun to relationships, you know, the, and the, the being part of, um, any dynamic whereas the man is more the action and the doing and the work Mm, I love that you've brought this up because you know this is where I feel I feel like there are two people's work in this space that I think have massively massively helped me and one is Marianne Williamson yes love her. and yeah have you done her Aphrodite program no but I I I'm very much into Marianne Williamson. I'm very familiar with her work and, and I've done a lot of research around who she is and what she does. Yeah, so, so it's just, it just so connects with what you're saying because, you know, in modern life, like these days, you know, the roles of men and women, you know, have become very mixed up. And we women, um, especially if we're in the workplace in a very corporate environment, we just become men if we're not careful. We become so consumed with this male energy yes. of doing, winning, planning, anything linear, construction, you know, uh, uh, crea- creating in that forceful way, like the real doing, 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 push, 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 push. This is all very male energy. Yes. And so 
there's a lot of women and you know I feel like I had this problem for a while I was like oh you know men are just intimidated by me you know because I've because I've achieved all these things yeah it isn't that it's that I'm emasculating them yeah 100% yeah by not allowing any space for their masculine and actually um you know uh John Gray who wrote uh, the follow-up to um, Mars and Venus is like beyond Mars and Venus talks exactly to this point that when we're like that as women, our testosterone levels rise, right? And so we become stressed because we're not supposed to be in that state. No. And, and the man around us, his testosterone gets suppressed. So, and, and, and so the balance of his female hormones effectively rise and what can happen is he can then fl- flip into the female role. So he starts, uh, you know, talking a lot about his feelings and needing time and space. Then we're in the man role being like, oh, my God, why is he whining? I need space in my cave, <laughs> you know. And so things just get messed up. And it does just come down to us as women understanding that energetic dynamic and making space to get into our feminine again. And uh, I love how Marianne Williamson talks about, um, you know, the shower or the bath, you know, the take an hour, yeah. like finish, finish your work, have the cut off and then have an hour just to kind of get into sensuous fabrics, have a shower with lovely bubble bath and get into that feminine again. Massively. This is exactly what I teach all the time. So I'm so speaking my language a hundred percent. But the thing is, it's so powerful because um, I've seen this in my own um, relationship is that it's absolutely transformative. And it comes from us, right? When we make the space, when we start to nurture ourselves, and we prize being, um, being rather than doing, um, it's, it's massively transformational for our romantic relationships. It is because it's the diversity of the feminine and masculine which creates the passion, which creates the pulse of aliveness. It's not that middle ground where we're operating, you know, in the gender neutral zone where we're we're flipping from masculine to feminine and he's doing the same. That's when we've probably got either, you know, a friendship or, you know, um, conflict because he's he's wanting to be the man, but you're wearing trousers as well. (laughs) And, And all he can feel is another male energy in the room. So... You're either creating conflict or, like you said, you know, you're causing him to step more into his feminine, which you're not going to find attractive. Yeah, that's ab- absolutely right. And, and I see this even transcending to work because, you know, there's, there's a way that we as men and women can really support each other and, you know, uh, become better together. And I think it comes down to this thing of, you know, m- if men can enable women to feel heard and women can enable men to feel like they're winning, then we bring the best out of each other. Yeah. And it, and it isn't, you know, wrong to want to be a woman. It isn't wrong to want to be a man. And I, I think what's happened in modern society is we're being conditioned to, to think it's wrong to be masculine it's wrong to be feminine and we all ought to be gender neutral and we're not meant to be gender neutral otherwise we'd just have one gender and be 
you know, asexual beings reproducing ourselves, wouldn't we? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think the thing is, is that, <clears throat> you know, I, I really feel like, um, you know, our personality is like an accumulation and this physical body is essentially an accumulation. You know, it's like, it is, it is a, a meat suit we get for this experience of being human. And so the thing about gender and about these male and female energies, I think we're in a time now where they almost transcend the meat suit we get, you know, and we can now play in, you know, the, these energies are now not quite so fixed you know, and, um, separate, right. And that's, I think what causes a lot of the confusion. Well, what I teach is there's five relationship energy states and we can flip into any one of those five. And there's the healthy feminine, the unhealthy feminine, the healthy masculine, the unhealthy masculine. And obviously the unhealthy one dynamics of those are where you've got the dysfunctional toxic relationships and the healthy are where you've got those really blooming, happy, passionate alive relationships and then you've got that energy neutral zone that i was talking about in the middle where mm. you know there's not any um polarization between the energies in your relationship and you've just got an okay settling for a happy-ish relationship yeah yeah and i suppose i think um you know with with and and you know just to the point of like the um you know what you're teaching is funny isn't it because from a place of settling from an okay-ish relationship. And I think this is what COVID has really polarized, right? Brought into really sharp focus is the quality of the relationships we have closest to us. Because we've all been in our little bubbles of, of essentially what we've created. Yeah. Um, and, and, with just a little bit, not even a lot of bit, <laughs> you know. A lot of bit. I like that. <laughs> with, with, a little, with even a little bit of awareness of relationship dynamics and a bit of self-awareness as to what we bring and a bit of kind of conscious operating in this space, we can create such a happier situation for ourselves um, because we are a social species and so much of our happiness, whether we choose to accept it or not, is really rooted in, um, you know, uh, the relationships that are around us. I agree. You know, that connection is so important. Even, even if you, uh, you haven't got the love, you know, the, the connection with other humans is so important as well, isn't it? That's right. And so um, why settle for... Um, you know, why, why settle for okay when what you could have is a really amazing relationship? I think, you know, I really, um, I, I, I encourage everyone, you know, to do, you know, your course, you know, to read uh, Beyond Mars and Venus, you know, to do, uh, to check out Esther Perel's work or, you know, whatever it is, like, upgrade your knowledge around relationships because it really is one of the areas that um with just a little bit of extra knowledge and tools and practices it really does make such a huge difference in your life 100 percent, yeah thank you for that and on that note sam what what, what is your best 
contact information for our listeners to get in touch with you? Probably the best way to reach me is via Instagram because uh, there you get my little tidbits that I post up uh, every day. And also you can click on the link in my profile and get to my link tree, which is, which has my links to everywhere. So my Instagram profile is um, underscore inspired dot world. Underscore inspired dot world. Exactly. Great. So you can contact Sam through her Instagram profile and I highly encourage people to do that. She's a superstar. I love what you're doing, Sam. I love your energy and I will most certainly be inviting you on as a a guest again. I've really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Uh, Thanks so much, Lynn. Yeah, it's been fantastic and so good to connect with you and your work. Thank you. And on that note, listeners, as I always end the program is always remember true love starts with opening our hearts. So until next time, goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to the Hearts Entwined podcast. You can follow Lynn via the Facebook group Two Hearts Entwined or search Lynn Smith, inspirational speaker at LinkedIn or email lynn at hearts-entwined.com. That's L-Y-N at hearts-entwined.com. Remember, true love starts with opening our hearts.